ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah We praise Him, seek assistance, seek His assistance and forgiveness And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. I'd like to begin this evening with this lecture number 10 from Kitab Tawheed الذي هو حق الله على العبيد and its sharh or explanation by Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab ibn Sulaiman al-Tamimi al-Najli Rahimahullah and the Sharh by Shaykh Abdul Aziz Qarawi Hafidahullah, may Allah protect him, preserve him In this chapter, the Imam Rahimahullah entitled it Bab Man Tabarraka Bi Shajarin Aw Hajarin أو نحوهما من تبرك بشجر يعني whoever turns to a tree by touching it or wiping oneself on it or rubbing one's body on it and so on seeking its blessings من تبرك بشجر أو حجر أو stone أو نحوهما أو anything similar to these two trees or stones or graves or wells or certain piece of land or place in the earth or whatever that may be considered as a blessed piece of the creation or thing in the creation that a person feels that by coming in contact with it or being near to it or touching it that they will be able to achieve some blessings, they will get blessings from it, that the blessing can be transferred from that thing to the one who is seeking it. Whoever does this act, at tabarruq by anything in the creation, and those which were most common amongst the Ahl Jahiliyyah, the people in the days of Jahiliyyah, the people who were ignorant of Islam and the Sharia of Allah and the Deen of Allah, was, were stones and trees and such similar things in the creation. They used to believe that these things were blessed in such a way that by touching it or coming in contact with it or rubbing on it that the blessings, the barakah that is in that thing, it will be transferred to you. And we know that al-barakah is only from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if there is anything in the creation 
that has been blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that one may receive blessings from it, it is only the prophets and messengers. As the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his companions used to do tabarruq by touching him or his sweat or his wadu, the water from ablution and so on, and his hairs, it is confirmed that they used to do so. In authentic hadith, when he used to make wudu, for example, they used to hasten to try to get some of that water that he used for ablution in order to seek the blessing from it. And this is something that is particular to the prophets, the anbiya, and the messengers, the rusul. And it is not for righteous people, saints, or anything else in the creation. In any case, al-barakah, it is from Allah. And whoever seeks to do this act of tabarruk by touching or coming in contact with anything in the creation, it is an act of shirk. Yani whoever does a tabarruk with a tree or a stone or that which is similar to these, the ruling concerning it is that it is shirk. And the scholars discuss the issue, some of them in some detail, as to whether or not this shirk it is shirk al-akbar, major shirk, or shirk al-asghar, minor shirk. And perhaps the summary of that discussion is similar to the discussion uh, based upon the seeking of any kind of benefit or protection from harm based upon one's intention. If someone uh, has the intention that this tree or this stone or whatever it may be that that created thing has the ability to be an intermediary tawassut or wasit between them and Allah and has the ability to give them some benefit or to protect them from some harm then this is major shirk but if they believe that this tabarruk or touching this thing is only a means that by touching it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them some benefit through that thing, that Allah is the one who benefits, but it is through that thing they are taking it as a sabr, a cause, then it is minor shirk. Yani the difference here is if the person thinks that the blessing doesn't come from that thing, it doesn't have any independent ability to give someone blessings, but it is sort of an intermediary to Allah, yani it has some ability to uh, reach or to deliver their request to Allah and to bring some benefit if they think so then this is major shirk but if they think that it is only a cause that Allah has made it as a cause and Allah has not made it as a cause but if they believe that ignorantly that Allah has made this thing as a cause and that the blessings come through Allah by that thing as a cause or a means then it is minor shirk in any case a tabarruk seeking blessings from such things the increase of good or the uh, permanency of some good so that it will remain with you and that it will increase, that good will increase through something in the creation. All of this is rejected by Islam. It is rejected. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hasn't given any authority for it, has not revealed any allowance for it. So the Shaykh, he begins this chapter with the verse from the Qur'an, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Surah Al-Najm, 
verses 19 through 22 have you seen or what do you think about Allat and Al-Uzza and Manat the third the other the third of those of those three Alakum Al-Zakaru Walahu Al-Unfa do you take for yourselves the male offspring prefer for yourself male offspring and give the female to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and attributing these three feminine uh, entities which they worshipped and they used to seek blessings from them what do you think about this practice? tilka idhan qismatu qismatun that this is indeed an unjust or unfair divisioning giving the males to yourself con- con- considering the males as superior and preferable and taking that for yourself and giving the females or attributing the females to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala these three names that are mentioned in this verse have been discussed by the scholars in terms of what were they used for and how did the pagans look at them and what is the origin of these names the first of them Allat it is said that it is a name derived from Al-Ilahun Al-Ilahu it is derived from Al-Ilah Allat is the feminine of Al-Ilah yani something that is divine or worshipped and some said that Allat it may also be derived from the reference to a righteous man who used to prepare a certain type of food called Sawik for the Hajjaj or the pilgrims going to Mecca uh, and when that man died they used to sit at his place the place of his grave thinking that in sitting in that place and being near to his grave that they would get blessings from it then they built some structure over that grave and covered it with curtains and they used to and later on they began to actually worship it and this was an idol Allah that was worshipped by the people the tribe of Thaqif the people in Ta'if and those who were from that surrounding area it was a stone a stone that the people that was near the grave of this man who used to prepare that food for the pilgrims on the way to Mecca from Taif and the people began to later on worship it as a god besides Allah as for Al-Uzza it is a name a feminine name derived from the name of Allah Al-Aziz the mighty Al-Aziz and it refers to a tree in the Wadi Nakhla that is a place between Mecca and Taif and they also built upon it a structure and covered it and it had custodians and guards who used to attend to it and take care of it and this Al-Uzza this idol it was worshipped by the Quraysh and the Banu Kinana the third of them Manat it is a feminine name 
which is derived from the name of Allah Al-Mannan Al-Mannan, the one who gives freely and plenty and it was in a place, near a place called Qadid which is between Mecca and Medina between Mecca and Medina and it was worshipped by the Khuza'i or the Khuza'a and the Aus and the Khazraj and it was also a stone, a large stone that was in this place worshipped by those particular tribes. Each of these false idols were destroyed after the success of Islam and the conquering of Mecca. Uh, the Prophet sent Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah anhu to Ta'if to the Thaqif people after they had accepted Islam and he destroyed that idol Allah and he sent Khalid ibn al-Walid anhu to destroy Al-Uzza and that was on the day of the conquest of Mecca and he sent Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu to destroy the idol Manat and that was in the same year of the conquest of Mecca the Shaykh Al-Qur'awi rahimahullah says concerning this verse that in this verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rebukes, renounces and rejects the practice of the mushrikeen, the pagans of worshipping these false idols and this is a general refutation or criticism or disapproval of the worship of idols in general and at the head of them are these three famous idols that were worshipped by the people in the Arabian Peninsula Allat, Wal-Uzza and Manat so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks the people to consider in this verse are these things having any ability to bring about any benefit or to prevent any harm or are they simply names which the people have named these things with themselves while there is no authority from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala confirming that there is any benefit or that there is any right to seek benefit from these false gods likewise in this verse there is criticism and refutation and rejection of the idea, the unjust division that the pagans used to use in offering or in naming those false gods by female names. While they used to prefer for themselves male children, but they would say that the angels were the daughters of Allah and they would name their false idols by female names attributing females to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and preferring males for themselves and had this type of division taken place between the created beings themselves between people and other people it would be unjust and unfair how much more so if it is a division that they have made between themselves and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala
Here, the Shaykh mentions from this verse four points. The first of them, the obligation of rejecting or denying or renouncing any evil, any munkar. That if we see or come to know about any evil, it is obligatory on us to reject it. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes known the rejection of the false worship of these idols and idols in general. Number two, the falsity of the worship of idols in general. In this verse Allah makes it clear that these things obviously don't have any ability to bring about any benefit or to prevent any harm. Number three, the obligation of rejecting the attribution of sons and daughters to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah is free from such description as having offspring, whether sons or daughters. That we should declare Allah being free and far removed and high above the need of sons or daughters. And number four, the corruption of the fitrah, the nature of the mushrikeen at that time in that they used to attribute daughters to Allah while they disliked it for themselves and at the same time while they are attributing daughters to Allah they were claiming that in doing so they were seeking to get near to Allah yani, if they were sincere and they are seeking to get near to Allah they would have attributed to Allah that which they considered preferable for themselves at least then he says the relationship between this verse and the chapter heading is that this verse points to or indicates that the worship of the mushrikeen of these idols it was in their seeking or requesting from them benefit or to protect them from some harm that that which is being rejected here is the fact that the mushrikeen they used to seek benefit from these idols and this is false worship therefore likewise every person who seeks blessing or benefit from any tree or stone or grave or other than that intending to get some benefit or to prevent some harm then they have been compared to the action of the mushrikeen in seeking benefit from these idols and therefore in this way they have also committed an act of shirk then he mentions here and a note that it is said that Allah is a name that was referring to a righteous man who used to prepare the sawik for the pilgrims a certain type of food for the people going to Mecca for Hajj and when he died the people used to sit at his grave uh, and spend time there thinking that being near to it al-uquf al-uquf staying near that grave that there was some benefit or that they would get some blessings they used to do it as an act of worship but this sticking to the grave or staying near the grave of this man this righteous man that it was an act of worship through which they would get some reward or some benefit and likewise it is said that Allah refers to a stone a carved stone uh, and he says that there is no contradiction between these two ideas and that uh, perhaps the reconciliation between the two opinions is that the stone 
that is referred to Allah was near the grave of that man the righteous man who used to prepare the food for the people and when the building or structure was built it was built over that stone and over his grave so it became it was one single uh, entity that was worshipped by the people <coughs> then he mentions the second evidence in this chapter and it is the hadith reported in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi and it is a Sahih hadith on the authority of Abi Waqid Al-Layfi radiallahu anhum he said kharajna ma'a rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ila khanayn we went out with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to Hunain. And here, Hunain, the place that he is referring to, it is the place or the occasion of the battle of Hunain. It was on the occasion of the battle of Hunain, Ghazwat Hunain, which took place between Mecca and Taif. He said that we went out with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the occasion of the Ghazwat Hunain. وَنَحْنُ هُدَثَاءُ أَحْدٍ بِكُفْرٍ And this is a very important statement which he makes here that we were هُدَثَاءُ أَحْدٍ بِكُفْرٍ that we were only recently coming to Islam and leaving Kufr we had only recently embraced Islam just a little while ago we were in Kufr and this was an indication on the part of the narrator of the hadith Abi Waqid al-Layfi radiallahu anhu that there was a reason or an excuse for what he is about to mention happened that some of the people who were with the Prophet on that occasion they were new Muslims and Islam had not yet fully overcome them or they haven't completely embraced Islam or understood completely the principles of Islam and the importance of shirk and the things related to it and that which invalidates it. They had not yet completely understood these things. Some of them who had newly embraced Islam, it was right after the conquest of Mecca. And there were many people, thousands of people of the pagans of Mecca who had then embraced Islam and they were only new Muslims who had not yet learned the teachings of Tawheed and that which contradicts it. So before making his statement, he is clarifying. What is the reason why? What I am about to mention, how could it have happened? This is because many of the people on that occasion were new Muslims who had not yet understand Islam or they had not yet understood Islam and especially at Tawheed and all of its ramifications. We were newly يعني, coming from Kufr. And the pagans, the Mushrik, they used to have a Sidra, a low tree. They used to make uquf by atikaf or staying in that place for some time near this sidra, low tree and al-uquf it is a form of worship just as a person who stays in the masjid for atikaf in Ramadan or in any other time for a period of time for the sake of being, getting near to Allah and worshipping Allah it is an act of worship and atikaf in the masjid is legislated in the sharia but this type of uquf at the places of the pagan idols is obviously rejected and it is an act of kufr or an act of shirk thinking that there is some benefit in sitting or staying near such places so the mushrikeen at that time they had a low tree they used to make an uquf near that tree 
وَيُنُوتُونَ بِهَا أَسْلِحَتَهُمْ And they also used to hang up their weapons on that tree. They used to think that this tree was blessed and that by be- being near it there was some benefit. And by hanging their weapons on it there was some benefit that their weapons would be more useful for them. And they would get more benefit from their weapons after hanging them on this blessed tree by some of the barakah from that tree being transferred to their weapons. يُقَالْ لَهَا ذَاتُ أَنْوَاتُ And that tree was known as ذَات أَنْوَاتُ And it means the one, the tree, ذَات means صَاحِب The one that possessed something or owns something And أَنْوَاتُ it means, a note or note means to hang up تعليق, To hang something on it It was the tree where they used to hang their weapons فَمَرَرْنَا بِصِدْرَةٍ we passed by a low tree on this occasion. فَقُلْنَا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Then we said, O Messenger of Allah, اِجْعَلْ لَنَا ذَاتَ أَنْوَاتٍ كَمَا لَهُمْ ذَاتُ أَنْوَاتٍ Make for us a ذَات أَنْوَات يعني a tree like the pagans have. A tree for us to hang. فَضِّرْ A tree for us A tree for us to hang our weapons upon like the that and what that the pagans had on which they used to hang their weapons on. Just as the pagans have. And he also make for us a tree where we can hang our weapons on to get some blessings for it. And they were on the way to battle. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ On hearing this, the Prophet ﷺ said, Allahu Akbar, إِنَّهَا السُّنَنَ Allahu Akbar Innaha As-Sunan He said Allahu Akbar Allah is the greatest And this declaration of Allahu Akbar It means that Allah is greater Allah is greater than That shirk can be made with Him That anything should be associated with Him And if we need blessings or help from anything It will only be from Allah And thinking that we will get some benefit Or that we will be protected from some harm by seeking blessings from a tree or a stone or anyone or anything it is a form of associating something with Allah so the Prophet ﷺ said Allahu Akbar and in some of the narrations as in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi and this narration is from the Muslim of Imam Ahmed in the Sunan of Tirmidhi he said SubhanAllah he said SubhanAllah when he heard them say this and SubhanAllah it is a tanzih it is an expression or a declaration that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is free from whatever has been ascribed to him of falsehood or shortcoming or defect any any falsity that has been ascribed to Allah that he has sons or he has daughters or he has partners or anything that is false that has been ascribed to him when we say subhanallah is a declaration that Allah is perfect that Allah has no imperfections and that he is free from whatever has been falsely attributed to him so here it is also reported that the Prophet said on this occasion subhanallah innaha sunnah that it is the sunan, the turuq, it is the way that the people traveled before. Yeah, and what happened here on this occasion? It was the way of the people before, the people who deviated before, the people of shirk and the people of jahiliyyah. Likewise, what they were requesting, it was the way, it was what had happened to the nations previously. Then the Prophet ﷺ said to them, Qultum walladhi nafsi biyadihi. You have said, and here he made oath by Allah, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِ بِيَدِهِ And I swear by the one in whose hand is my life, 
my life and my death and the control of my affairs. It is all in the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَالَّذِي نَفْسِ بِيَدِهِ I swear by the one who controls my life. He said, قُلْتُمْ وَالَّذِي نَفْسِ بِيَدِهِ كَمَا قَالَتْ بَنُوا إِسْرَائِيلِ مُوسَى That you have said, I swear by the one who controls my life, that you have said a saying which is like what the Banu Israel, the children of Israel, said to Musa What you have said is similar to what they said, and then the Prophet quoted the saying from the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to what was said to Musa by his people when they said to him, after Allah had saved them from Fir'aun, then they asked him to make for us a god like they have, the people of Fir'aun the pagans, like, like they have as a god to be worshipped. They said, اِجْعَلْ لَنَا إِلَٰهًا كَمَا لَهُمْ آلِهًا yani Make for us a god. The, the Bani Israel said to Musa, after Allah saved them, make for us a god. كَمَا لَهُمْ آلِهًا Just as the pagans have gods that they worship, make for us one like that. قَالْ Then he said, Musa said to them, إِنَّكُمْ قَوْمٌ تَجْهَلُونَ And here you should make a note in the Shah of Kitab Tawheed, the translation of the Shah in English, it has been mistakenly translated as though the words of the Bani Israel وَإِجْعَلْ لَنَا إِلَهًا كَمَا, كما لَهُمْ إِلَىٰ And then after that, that was the end of their saying, and then they translated as though the Prophet ﷺ said قَالْ إِنَّكُمْ قَوْمٌ تَجْحَلُونَ لَتَرْكَبُنَّ سُنَنًا مَنْ كَانَ قَبْلُكُمْ When in fact, the first statement إِجْعَلْ لَنَا إِلَىٰهًا كَمَا لَهُمْ إِلَىٰهًا it is from the ayah of Qur'an in Surah Al-A'raq chapter 7 verse 138 and the completion of that statement is the saying of Musa to his people innakum qawmun tajhalun yani this is a, this the ayah this is an ayah from the Qur'an in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the saying of the Bani Israel to Musa make us a god like they the pagans have a god and Musa said to them verily you are people who don't understand who don't have knowledge who are ignorant then the statement of the Prophet Muhammad after mentioning this to his people that you have said like the Bani Israel said to Musa then he said to them that you will indeed follow the sunan, the ways of those who came before you yeah, and you will indeed do the actions and say the speech as did the people before you their actions and their speech yeah, and the Prophet compared the saying of those new Muslims to him to make for us a tree a that and what like the pagans have a that and what a tree where they hang their weapons he compared it to the statement of the Bani Israel to Musa السلام, they said make for us a god like the pagans have a god of course there is a difference between these two statements in that they were asking for a tree to do tabarruq and the Bani Israel were asking for god outright but the similarity between them is that both of them are shirk. A tabarruq is a shirk. It can be major or minor shirk, depending on the intention of the people who are doing the tabarruq. And uh, so it is similar. The Prophet ﷺ said that you have said, like the saying of Banu Israel, kama qalat Banu Israel Musa. So it is similar. The request of those new Muslims was to give them a tree to do tabarruq, and it was similar in that it was a form of shirk even though they didn't do it but they asked for it they asked for a tree which that tree would have been used for tabarruk and it would be a form of shirk this hadith is reported by Imam Ahmed 
as is mentioned here in the book, Rahu al-Tirmidhi was sahahahu al-Tirmidhi na'idh, and he declared it to be sahih. And it's also, يعني, the similar hadith has been reported in the Muslim of Imam Ahmed, and in Kitab al-Sunnah by Ibn Abi Atam, as well as in many other books of hadith, including the Sahih of Ibn Hibban and Tabarani and others. <coughs> Here, Shaykh al-Qur'awi mentions that in this hadith, Abu Waqid al-Layfi radiallahu anhu informs us that he accompanied the Prophet in Ghazwat al-Hunayn, Ghazwat al-Hunayn, and he mentions that the Muslims knew that the pagans used to have a sidra, a low tree, that they used to do tabarruk, yani they used to seek blessings from it. They used to think that it was something yani, exalted and that it had some special powers that by being near it there was some blessing and that hanging their weapons on it would also transfer some of those blessings to their weapons. Since they were new in Islam and had not yet understood that which Islam is calling for, especially the foundation of Islam and the most important call that is to a tawheed since they were new in Islam and didn't understand that yet, then they tafaddal. <coughs> they requested from the Prophet ﷺ to make for them a low tree, that they would seek blessings from it, and that they would also sit near it and spend time near it as the Ahl Jahiliyyah, the people of Jahiliyyah, yani the people of Shirk and Kufr, the people who didn't have knowledge of Islam, as they used to do. And the Prophet ﷺ was surprised and amazed by this request and his amazement it caused him to make the statement of Allahu Akbar or Subhanallah and this was a statement showing that Allah is greater than everything and that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala <coughs> that there is no there is no way that they can make anything equal to Allah or sharing with Allah in his ability to bring good or to prevent any harm and Allah was free and high, highly exalted above Yani, any defect or shortcoming that they would attribute to him by requesting something from other than Allah and Allah is sufficient. Likewise, he also informed them that they request yani, to make a tree for them that and what like the pagans used to have that it was similar to the request of the Bani Israel, the children of Israel to Musa السلام, when they asked him to make for them a god that they could worship other than Allah and he liked the pagans the pagans in Egypt where they had just escaped from from Fir'aun had gods that they used to worship and this was after they had been saved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from Fir'aun and his people then he informed them that is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam informed them that this ummah meaning the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam will do the actions of the people who came before them من كان قبلهم meaning the Ahl Kitab the Yahud and Nasara in everything that they used to do including shirk and otherwise that it was يعني, a sign of the prophethood of Muhammad وسلم, that he knew that this is going to happen that in his ummah in the future some people would do all of the things that the previous nations used to do and fall into what they fell into including all acts of evil and deviation and kufr and shirk 
And today we see the manifestation of this prophecy in the Muslim Ummah today, almost every place in the earth. Perhaps the only place which appears somewhat free from it is the Arabian Peninsula. But after we go out of the Arabian Peninsula, in every place in Asia and Africa, and the rest of the Arab countries, we find that the Muslim Ummah has fallen into shirk openly and secretly. Major shirk as well as minor shirk. In the sacrificing to other than Allah, tawaf around other than the Kaaba, supplication to the graves and the people in the graves, and tabarruk by everything that you can imagine. So this is a prophecy that came true. And it was really meant as a warning, a warning to the Muslim Ummah, to every Muslim to beware. Beware of falling into that which the previous nations fell into. And it should be a warning to every one of us. Here the Shaykh mentions 12 points or benefits, the fawaid that may be derived from this hadith. The first of them is the, that it is mustahab or commendable to say or to do that which would prevent al-ghiba. And here again, in the translation, there is some wording that's not very clear. He says the, the virtue of making clear that which would refute the charge of backbiting. But actually, it is not making clear that which would refute backbiting, but it is that the person who is in a situation which might be misunderstood, that they should make clear. They should make clear their action so that people will not misunderstand what they are doing and backbite them. It is, uh, yani it, it is similar to what happened on the occasion when the Prophet was in Atikaf and his wife came to visit him, one of his wives came to visit him. And when he was escorting her to her room, he came outside of the masjid and two men from the Ansar passed by. And in case they might misunderstand and think that he is with some strange woman, he made clear. So that there will be no doubt and no room for anybody to misunderstand. He said, this is my wife. This is my wife. So it, he made clear that which could have been left open and led to confusion or misunderstanding or yani, misinterpretation. And here he is saying, this is referring to the statement of Abu Waqid where he made clear the reasoning why the, those new Muslims said what they said and did what they did, it was due to the fact that they were new Muslims, so that nobody would misunderstand and think that the general body of the companions of the Prophet were on such a level that they didn't understand, but in fact it was those who were new Muslims, but only recently, just a few days before, embraced Islam and had not yet a chance to understand Islam. While the other, all the companions of the Prophet understood very well the importance of Tawheed and those things which violated. The second point, he said, the difficulty of removing habits from the inner soul or the, yani, those habits which are ingrained in a person. It's very difficult to change them. And these, those non-Muslims who asked the Prophet ﷺ to make for them a that awat and wat, like the pagans used to have, it was because in paganism, before they had embraced Islam, they used to engage in such practices. So it didn't immediately and easily go away from them. But it takes time and it takes effort to remove those old habits. And likewise, anyone who newly embraces Islam, 
or begins to practice Islam, even though they were born in a Muslim family, when they begin to practice Islam, they have to also, with some difficulty, remove those old habits that uh, they have taken on previously. Number three, that al itikaf it is a type of ibadah. al itikaf and he's sticking to some place for some time with the expectation that there's some benefit from it as a form of worship as we do in the masjid in Ramadan for example in the last 10 days of Ramadan or in any other time that anyone performs an itikaf according to the rules of the sharia that an itikaf is a type of ibadah and if it is done in contradiction to that which is legislated in the sharia then it will be a type of shirk as the itikaf or the uqoof that the pagans did as that and what and any other itikaf that we find such as uh, what we saw recently in one of the brothers who gave me some pictures recently last week showing people making itikaf at graves in India in a place called Nalor thousands of people coming on buses like they are going on a bus outing men, women and children and they are sitting around and laying near the graves doing itikaf this is shirk because itikaf is a type of ibadah and if it's done outside of the sharia then it's shirk the fourth point it is a very important point that needs to be understood well and it is that the person who is ignorant may be excused by their ignorance as long as they cease from doing what they are doing when the knowledge comes to them and a person who is ignorant of something when they came to know it if they stop and cease then inshallah they will be excused for the action that they did out of ignorance and also it should be noted here that the ignorance that is an excuse that is excused by Allah inshallah it is the ignorance of the person who didn't have the ability to know and that's because they didn't try to know or they didn't want to know or they refused to let anyone tell them then they will not be excused for such because they are responsible to learn and to know and whoever doesn't make any effort to know and refuse to accept the truth when it's brought to them then they will not be excused by their ignorance and some ignorant people think as we have heard on a number of occasions that there are some Muslims who tell people don't learn because the more you learn the more you're responsible for one new Muslim who used to be a Hindu told me that he went to one masjid and, the, and he told the people where can I get books from they told him no need just stay with us because if you read books you will learn a lot and the more you learn the more you're responsible for so it's better to stay ignorant and he's not the only person who said that many people are saying that these people are saying such this is foolishness whoever, does, whoever has the ability to know and refuse to learn they will be responsible for their ignorance because seeking knowledge is an obligation the Prophet said Talib al-ilm faridatun ala kulli muslim Seeking knowledge is a faridah, just like salat is a faridah, and zakat is a faridah, and siyal ramadan is a faridah. Seeking knowledge is also an obligation on every Muslim. So whoever doesn't seek knowledge, and then therefore they are ignorant and they don't know, then they will not be excused, unless Allah forgives them, and Allah forgives whomever He will. In any case, al-umr bil-jahl, yani being excused due to ignorance, it is not absolute. Ignorance is not an absolute excuse but it depends on the circumstances number five the prohibition of imitating the Ahl al-Jahiliyyah uh, from amongst the pagans as well as others of them and here he says yani, the translator says At-tashabbuh bi Ahl al-Jahiliyyah he said imitating the ignorant people and that may be the linguistic meaning of Ahl al-Jahiliyyah but actually what is intended here by Ahl al-Jahiliyyah it means the people 
who are living in the way that is not in accordance with the Sharia, not in accordance with the deen of Allah. The Jahiliyyah means that the person who is outside of the light and the knowledge of Islam. This is the real meaning of Jahiliyyah, not just ignorance. There are many people who are ignorant. Some Muslims are also ignorant. They might not know anything about science or history or reading and writing. You might say they are ignorant, but, but they are not ignorant in the meaning of Jahiliyyah here. Jahiliyyah means being ignorant of the deen of Allah. If a person doesn't know how to read and write, but he knows about Tawheed and he worships Allah, we will not say he is from Ahl Jahiliyyah. So we should know here that the Ahl Jahiliyyah means the people who are living in contradiction to Islam and that which Allah has revealed in the legislation and the Sharia. Number six, he says the, permiss- the permiss- per- permissibility of the saying Allahu Akbar at the time when someone is amazed, saying that Allahu, Allahu Akbar or saying Subhanallah at the time when we see something that someone does or hear something that someone says that's amazing, that is inappropriate or improper for a Muslim to be saying, as the Prophet was amazed and surprised when they asked him to make a tree for them, to seek blessings from it, and he said, Allahu Akbar. Number seven, the obligation of said al-zara'i, or said al-zari'a, meaning that it is obligatory on us to close all the ways, close all the ways that might lead to shirk, or lead to evil, or corruption, or wrong, in any way. Said al-zari'a, means that if we know that something will lead to evil and wrong, we should close the way. And the Sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made uh, many restrictions. And these restrictions have as the intention and the wisdom behind them is to close the way that leads to evil or corruption or shirk or kufr. And one of them is the prohibition of picture taking or image making. Because images are one of the ways that lead to shirk as it did in the time of the people of Nuh alayhi salam it was the images that they made of these so-called righteous, or these righteous men that were in their time, the images that they made of them, that led them later, in later generations, when the people didn't know or understand why those idols were, or why those statues were made. Initially, they were made by people who wanted to remember the good deeds and the righteous acts of those righteous men. And later, the people lost the knowledge of why those statues were made, and they were deceived by Shaitan into believing that their forefathers and ancestors used to worship those statues and then they began to worship them so closing the way that leads to shirk or evil it is part of the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his deen also uh, number eight he says that shirk it would appear amongst this ummah yani that the people of the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu will fall into shirk and we see it today everywhere number nine the permissibility of al-half or swearing at the time of making a fatwa or a legal ruling as the Prophet of swearing without being requested or required to do so. And here again the translator says, without the intention of making an oath. Jawaz al-Half bidun istihla li maslahatin. The meaning of it is that it is permissible to make an oath when you have not been requested or required to do so. If you are required to do so, for example, someone, if you go to the court and they ask you to swear by Allah that what you are saying is true, this is istihlaf, that you have been required to make an oath. And it is lawful to do so. And here, the Shaykh is saying that it's also lawful to make an oath even if you have not been required to do so, if it is for some benefit. Otherwise, making oaths as the people are doing commonly for every occasion and every other sentence, especially in the marketplaces, Wallahi, this is really so, and Wallahi, this and that, 
This is un-Islamic and it is one of the signs of a nifaq or hypocrisy as the author mentions in a later chapter near the end of the book. So swearing by Allah on every occasion for every statement that we make, it is not proper to do so. It is expected that a person should swear by Allah on the occasion when they are requested or required to do so or if there is some benefit in doing so as the Prophet ﷺ did on this occasion. Number 11, that this Ummah would do the actions of the Yahud and Nasara, the Christians and Jews, as the Prophet ﷺ said that you would definitely follow the ways of those people who were before you, meaning the Christians and Jews. And here this is, an indi- this is yani, derived from the statement of the Prophet ﷺ that you have said similar to that which was said by the Bani Israel to Musa, meaning the Jews, what they said to Musa, and likewise the Muslims fell into a similar type of action. And finally he says, number 12, that those things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned of blameworthy actions or characteristics of the Jews and Christians, uh, they are meant to be a warning for us also. They are meant to be a warning for us. If we read the Quran and we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blame the Jews or the Christians for some speech or action or belief, then we should know that it's not just meant as a, uh, yani a narration of something that happened historically, a mentioning of history, but it's meant to be a warning for us today to protect us from falling into the same thing. Those who don't take heed to it, then they will definitely fall into it. And we should also know that the ways of the Ahlul Kitab, the Christians and Jews, are blameworthy, just as the ways of the Mushrikeen, the pagan disbelievers, are blameworthy. And if we don't follow the ways of the pagans who worship idols outright, nor the Christians and Jews who have rejected the message that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent through his Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and uh, this way of life, al-Islam, in its perfected form. Then the Shaykh says the relationship between this hadith and the chapter. Uh, it is that this hadith indicates that those who have taken trees, and here in this hadith is the mention of a tree, taking it for tabarruq, seeking blessings from it, and al uquf sitting or staying at that place, that this is an act of shirk. And likewise, under this ruling comes everything that a person seeks blessings from or does tabarruk, whether it is a tree or a stone or a grave or otherwise. And this is because such actions are similar to the actions of the pagans in their worship of idols. Whoever seeks blessings from anything, whatever it may be, then it is similar to the actions of the pagans seeking blessings from their idols. And the Prophet prohibited us from imitating the other peoples, whether the pagans or Christians or Jews or otherwise, when he said, whoever imitates a people, men tashabbaha biqawmin, fahuwa minhum. Whoever imitates a people, he is from them. So we should avoid imitation of the pagans in the worship of idols, as well as the Christians and Jews in their false worship and their false beliefs that are deviation from that which was revealed to the prophets that were sent to them. Then he makes a note here, that it is widespread in our time, in these last days, or in, these, in this later time, in our era, the seeking of blessings at tabarruk by the sweat of the righteous people. That is, someone is considered as a righteous person, and people seek blessings by touching them, or touching their clothing, or the tahnik of so-called righteous or pious people at the time of the birth of a child, in comparison, or making qiyas, 
to the action of the Prophet at the time of the birth of Abdul ibn Zubair that uh, when he was brought to the Prophet he took a date and he chewed on it and he took the uh, saliva from that date and put it on the mouth of that child and some people think that this is a sunnah that is for other people to follow and when a child is born then they ask someone who they consider to be pious or righteous to do as the Prophet did and as we said yani the blessing that is from the Prophet it is for the MBA and there is no barakah or blessing that may be transferred from a human being to another human being if there is any barakah in the righteous or in the scholars or in those who worship Allah often it is the blessing of following their example or taking their knowledge but not by touching them and some blessing will be transferred from them to another person and the proof of this the Sheikh says the proof of this that such practices are false is that uh, the companions of the Prophet that they didn't do it with anyone else besides him yani they didn't seek uh, al-barakah they didn't seek barakah by touching or uh, otherwise seeking yani, any blessings from human beings not in his lifetime nor after his death and the companions of the Prophet وسلم, they were the most eager in following his example and following his guidance and his sunnah and since they didn't do it with anyone else they didn't do it to Abu Bakr Siddiq nor Umar bin Al-Khattab or Uthman or Ali and who is better than them in our time or in any other time therefore if they didn't seek blessings from any of them or from their body or their hairs or their clothing or any other thing associated with them then it's wrong for anyone else to seek blessings from anyone after them who is less than them uh, there are a number of points that um, the Messiah, after this uh, chapter, uh, perhaps we'll just look at the questions quickly and then try to do as many of the Messiah as possible. Quickly. The first question, explain what is meant by at tabarruq from trees, stones, etc. and its hukum. Now, its hukum is that it's shirk. The ruling is that it's shirk. And the one who does it is a mushrik. Either it is minor shirk or major shirk depending on the intention of the person and how they are seeing it. Uh, what is meant by tabarruq? What is meant by it is by touching or rubbing or being near to something that is considered to be blessed, seeking some of that blessing to come to be transferred from that thing to the person who does tabarruq by it. What is the meaning and origin of the three names mentioned in this verse? Have you seen Allah and Al-Uzza and another, the third, Manat? What is the meaning of these names and what is and what is the origin? Yani the meaning of them, there were three gods or idols that the pagans used to worship in the Arabian Peninsula and each of those names are derived from uh, names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Al-Manan and Al-Aziz and Al-Ilah Why did the pagans hang their weapons on the lotus tree? To get blessings from it Now, they thought that it was a blessed tree and that being near it or hanging the weapons on it would give them some benefit. How can we explain the request for the Prophet ﷺ to make for us a that and what like theirs? And how can we explain the companions of the Prophet ﷺ asking him to do such a thing? How? Yes, how, how can we explain that the companions would do such a thing? If it is shirk, how can we explain that they would ask him to do so? 
Because those who asked him to do so, they were new, newly embraced Islam. Those who had newly come to Islam, who didn't yet understand the fullness of Islam and Tawheed and that which violates it. And some of these small issues like this, a tabarruk, perhaps wasn't known to them. And of course, we believe that they thought in requesting it, they thought due to their lack of knowledge of that issue, they thought that it was something good, that it was something beloved to Allah, and they, they were doing it or they were asking for it to get near to Allah. That was the intention. The intention was well-meaning, but due to lack of knowledge. They requested something that was incorrect, and the Prophet ﷺ immediately corrected that matter without any hesitation. And he made them know the seriousness of it by saying, Allahu Akbar and Subhanallah. What is meant by the word Allahu Akbar when, he, when they requested that to Anwad? Yani the Prophet ﷺ, amazement, surprise, and also it is a statement of glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah is high above and greater than having any need that they should seek any benefit or protection from harm from other than Him. That Allah is free of need of such a thing and Allah is above it and Allah is yani, free of any falsehood or defect or shortcoming that may be attributed to Him. Explain the comparison between the two things, that is the companions and the children of Israel. What is the comparison between the two things? The companions requested a tree. They requested a tree for tabarruk. And tabarruk is a form of shirk, seeking blessings from other than Allah. And the Bani Israel requested from Musa السلام, a god, which is also shirk. Both of the comparison is that both of them are shirk. But of course, there is a difference, although both of them are shirk, because asking for a god is outright open major shirk. Or worshipping something as a god besides Allah. Whereas what the companions were asking, those new Muslims, they were asking to do tabarruk, which wasn't clearly or apparently, and it wasn't known to be shirk. But they thought it was just a means to get near to Allah. Is it expected that the Muslims will fall into deviation, sin, kufr and shirk of the earlier nations? Explain. It is expected, for sure, because the Prophet ﷺ predicted it. He said, you would definitely, you would definitely go into those things that the people before you, that they fell into, meaning the Christians and Jews. And we see it manifested today, it is in front of our eyes. What is Al-Atikaf and what is its hukum or ruling? It is an, it is an act of ibadah. And an etikaf, it is staying in some place for a period of time with the intention of getting near to Allah as an act of worship. An etikaf is of two types, that which is permissible and that which is not permissible. In the masjid, in accordance with the sharia, it's permissible. And that which they did, making etikaf near idols or certain so-called holy places or graves or whatever, that type of etikaf, it is prohibited, it's haram, it's shirk. Is a person ma'adur? Excuse for the actions they have done while jahil, ignorant. Yani the person is excused. Al-Uzr bil-jahil. Yani a person is excused due to ignorance if they didn't have a chance to know. And if when they came to know, they ceased from what they were doing. Yani they may be excused if they didn't have any way to know. 
It wasn't their own shortcoming. They didn't, it wasn't that they didn't try to know or they didn't care to know. But they didn't have a way to know. So when they came to know, then they ceased it. In that case, there's an excuse for the person who is ignorant. Mention some of the benefits of the hadith of Abu Waqid and Laythi. There are many, and we mentioned, I don't know how many, more than 10 or 12, you can do them. Uh, just quickly, how much time before the adhan? 10 minutes? <laughs> let's, let's try to take some of those minutes to look at some of the messiahs quickly. The messiahs, as uh, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab mentioned, yani about 20 some odd messiahs here, and just quickly, some of them we can look at. The first of them is Tafsir Ayat al Najm, yani the Tafsir or explanation of this verse concerning the three idols of the pagans of the Arabian Peninsula. Yani, that they used to worship them as gods besides Allah, or they didn't have any power or any ability to give any benefit or to cause any harm. Uh, and that whoever does similar to that, then they are equal to them. Number two, uh, knowing or recognizing the uh, recognizing any matter or the matter that was requested on the occasion of the Ghazwat al by the companions of the Prophet and it is important that people recognize uh, a thing in its form and shape what it actually is and the companions who were new Muslims on that occasion did not recognize what they were asking for they were asking for that and what it was tabarruq by a tree which was an act of shirk but they didn't recognize it as an act of shirk. So the Prophet made them to know what they were doing. The third of them is the fact that they didn't actually do it. Yani that the companions of the Prophet asked for him to give them a tree to hang their weapons on for blessings. However, the Prophet corrected them and they didn't commit this act of shirk. Number four, the fact that they intended to seek nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by asking for that tree to be made for them to seek blessings from it and the intention it was to get near to Allah thinking that this was something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved while in fact it was an error or a mistake and the Prophet corrected and made it clear to them Number five uh, that if those who are new Muslims in the time of the Prophet were ignorant of such a thing then others besides them are expected more so to be unaware and ignorant of such a thing. Yani if people in the time of the Prophet didn't know that tabarruq, that this type of action, that it was a form of shirk and that it was prohibited. If they didn't know, then what do we expect from the people of today? For sure they don't know and that's why it's widespread and therefore it is obligatory on the people who know to make it known so that people will be protected from falling into such actions which are indeed very grave. Uh, also that the companions of the Prophet had many hasanat or many good deeds and they were also promised forgiveness yani that which wasn't for other, others besides them yani their good deeds were more than those who came after them and the promise of forgiveness for them was greater than it was for others after them since they were the Sahaba